0: Exciting times! We are live on LinkedIn. Really looking forward to this one. Joined by Khalid bishop who's going to be talking about advertising budgets, what you should spend on retargeting, and also the renowned debate on retention rates as well—whether it should be seventy percent, hundred percent, ten percent. Seems to have everyone got a different figure these days, but it's definitely an interesting topic depending on what type of store you have so okay let welcome why don't you give us a quick intro into who you are and what you do at hush
1: yeah sure yeah. thanks for having me adam uh i work as the director of paid media for hush right now we sell bedding uh, for the longest time we were focused on selling weighted blankets and other sleep accessories <laughs> like cooling, uh, cooling sheets cooling pillows etc recently we launched a mattress which has been exciting very exciting and yeah i manage all of our ad spend across facebook google pinterest TikTok, tock critio tabula you name it and at the same time i also have my hands in uh, other parts of the business i uh, love being involved in product development customer research and uh, recently i've also been managing the email program uh, which is more <laughs> going to be a temporary thing i don't intend to do that uh, for a long time it's not very easy uh but yeah that's that's basically what i do at hush sounds like you're the
0: swiss army knife of the company
1: yeah you know you uh, when you're working at a startup you gotta be whatever is uh
0: required of you right exciting yeah no it's good that you obviously because i think coming on to these two topics we'll get into it gives you like a holistic sense of how all of them tie in together so let's just get straight into the first topic and uh, this is uh, something that I've, I've also seen this like platitude rolled out is 30% of your art budget should be spent on retargeting do you want to just frame like where this comes from and also just go straight into what your opinion is and what you've observed working a hush of other companies
1: for sure so this comes from a very, very siloed approach to marketing right so when you have uh, and a Facebook ads agency that's just managing Facebook ads. When you have a Google ads agency that's just doing the Google ads, uh, right? Somebody else is doing Pinterest and they're all, they all have their budgets. Uh, they, they all know that, okay, we need to get the maximum value for the budget we're putting in for the client. Right. And, you know, in most cases uh, they're well-intentioned. They really do want to maximize uh, your returns for whatever budget you're giving them. Uh, but the issue then comes is when, In reality, what's happening is all these ad platforms are in many cases taking credit for the exact same sale, right? Like uh, this uh, ring that I bought, the Aura Ring, uh, I was super excited about this purchase. It uh, tracks my sleep uh, schedule, uh, you know, when I fall asleep, when I wake up, how good my sleep was. And I really needed that because I, you know, my sleep really sucks. So I did my research between this and a Fitbit and I had just made up my mind that I was going to go with the Aura Ring because, you know... uh, went through a lot of reviews from customers. I, I don't think any marketing material that either of the companies could have sent me would have made a difference in my purchase because I was like, yeah. no, I want to hear from customers and make my decision. So I didn't make a decision that I was going to go with the order ring, but then at that time I'm like, okay, I'm, I need to wait uh, for my next paycheck to come uh, because I don't have the money right now, but I already made up my mind. Right. And in that period, well, until my paycheck came, came in, saw so many Facebook ads. I saw so many display ads, I clicked on some of them, right? And sort of like fantasizing about my uh, purchase. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this style, this color, right? I'm calling my girlfriend, like, hey, look at this. I'm going to get this soon. She's like, oh, you're crazy. Well, It's another random purchase. But uh, anyway, right, like I interacted with so many different ads in that space. And when on the 30th day I go and buy this product, what happens? Facebook says, okay, you know, this guy clicked on a Facebook ad and he purchased. Google says, okay, this guy clicked on the Google ad and he purchased. Um, and they're all taking full credit for the ad, right? So from the uh, point of view of the person who's managing the ad, it looks like, oh, we're doing a great job with this, uh, you know, this incremental ad spend really uh, got this extra customer. Hence, what we should do is we should double down on the retargeting and spend more money on it. But I don't think that's the right approach to it. Like the short answer is if you're spending 30% of your ad budget uh, on retargeting, you are probably way overspending. And the long answer is if you want to really figure out what the right mix is, you know, it's gonna require a lot of spreadsheets. It's gonna require a lot of number crunching. It's not an easy task. Uh but hey, you know, in most cases if you're spending 30%, you are probably way overspending.
0: So a couple of issues obviously probably that leads to people misspending. Yeah, I'm guessing attribution is sort of muddled along the way where people like all you says all the art platforms are claiming credit for it yeah. have you guys figured out i know everyone's dealing with the same problem now to some extent but right. any type of solution you found internally to deal with this we have explored some solutions right uh the number
1: one thing was you know forget about like getting to the absolute truth with attribution let's try to yeah. figure out if the total spend we're making is even moving the needle, right? Or are we way overspending? So the first shift we had in our strategy, this was around the time when iOS came in. it was like, you know, let's look at our ad spend more holistically as in everywhere that we're spending money, let's add that up. And then let's see if that compared to our revenue is, is that a healthy ratio we are, uh, you know, that that can sustain the business over a long term, Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that was one shift. So I think, uh, the one number which which has been talked a lot very uh, a lot on uh linkedin recently i've noticed a lot of brands mention it a lot of uh, consultants mention it which is good to hear that you know you should be looking at your overall mer which is the marketing efficiency ratio uh yeah to ensure that you're not uh overspending on paid ads because that can easily happen when you're in scale mode you start uh you know taking the budget up but it's just almost a law of nature the more you spend Uh, on the advertising, the higher your CAC is also gonna go and your incremental returns really start to drop. So that was one. uh, We really started making use uh, of the MER to uh, understand our overall performance for ads uh, in relation to our revenue. Uh, The next thing is obviously we were looking for, still looking for solutions for how do we get around this attribution problem, especially post iOS. Um, One thing that is An issue for us is that we have a very high AOE. It's uh, above $350, which means that there's often a lot of touch points with the customers. And there's a lot of dark touch points that we're not able to crack at all. And then uh, because we have had some excellent PR over the last couple of months, like our Dragon's Den appearance was huge for us. So when we do uh, post-sales surveys with customers, we actually find out that uh, over 50% of them have either heard about us on Dragon's Den or they were... Informed about us from a friend or family, uh, so but just because there's so many dark interactions, it, 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 that that's a big challenge for us. Uh, the high AOVs and other challenges because you know it's a the purchase cycle is a bit longer, uh, which means people are interacting with us on many different places. Uh, these things make attribution extremely difficult, right? Uh, so, that being said, we were still looking for a good solution. We tried using UTM links to provide, uh, you know. Uh, a more holistic view of where the clicks are coming from uh, but it like it doesn't it feel like it doesn't give us the full story just because of all the influence uh, that our existing brand already has on the customer's mind right because what, what you what happens when you try to do click attribution it's it's not factoring in for anything that's coming out of uh, the things that you can't track Every, whether or not somebody heard about you from their friend or family or whether they saw you in Dragon's Den click attribution tries to uh, associate everything like the assumption is that, oh, everything happened because of some click somewhere, either on an ad platform or on Google Organic or somewhere. So we have struggled with that um, as well uh, to find a real answer. Uh, what we are experimenting with right now is uh, mar- marketing mix modeling, right? So just being uh, able to collect all of our interactions that happen everywhere and yeah. to model that with, uh, you know, what's, what's the correlation between... Uh, the, all the inputs we have and all the outputs we get. Uh, and as those things change week over week and month over month, then what happens to the revenue? So we are experimenting with that right now and i um, hoping to see some positive results. Uh, but yeah, just relying on click attribution. We even tried out some third-party two-party tools like Hyros, uh, which wasn't very beneficial for us, right? So the idea behind Hyros was, okay, well, let's use Hyros' model to make our media buying decisions and allocating budget in different platforms and if we use their model and if it increases you know causes an increase in the revenue then that means that model works better but we didn't find that happening right so we got a different model we worked with Hyros but it didn't really produce a big change in the in our revenue so yeah that's that's basically what we're doing to
0: get around the attribution problem now. A love that it's, it's it is a very complex topic isn't it we could probably go I mean we could spend two hours just talking about that alone and there is a lot of tools like you said Hyros yes. is a crippled whale and I've seen others but I love the fact that you pointed out this word as well dark social which I'm seeing you know really become popular this year I follow uh, Chris Walker and b2b as well and he yes. talks about all these touch points that you can't see but then that's also why those post-purchase surveys, I think, are becoming really, really popular and making a bit of a comeback at the moment. Like, how are you guys answering, uh, sorry, asking the customer the question? Is it basically like, where did you hear about us? Facebook, Instagram, Dragon's or is it just a case of like an open-ended? like, tell us how you heard about us. So right now
1: we're giving them options. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of options in there. About, I think, 15% of Purchasers uh, interact with the survey, which uh, I think it's a bit low. I wish it was a bit higher, but uh, yeah, you know, one caveat with that is obviously there's a self-selection bias, right? It's uh, obviously very possible that a certain type of customer is more likely to respond to the survey, but it's just some of the things I guess you'll never figure out, but uh, it was pretty eye-opening, right? Because uh, prior to that, we had no idea that uh, we had that level of brand reach, even that 25% of people were buying from us said that it was because of a dragon's den episode or the other another 25 percent are like they they bought it because they got a recommendation from a friend or family which was amazing to know I mean, uh that uh tells us we're doing something uh, good with our products uh so yeah that's that's how we're doing it uh open-ended question that's interesting i actually didn't even think of trying that but I think it's worth a shot have you guys tried it did you, you seeing good results with it
0: so I know we we um, have worked with Jeremy Epson before, who I'm not sure if you've seen on LinkedIn is um, you know amazing with experimentation. And I know he recommends to keep it open-ended to right. remove that higher or get to a better source of truth. But um, I'm not sure how that would impact the, um, you mentioned you've got like a 15% uptake on that. Maybe if it's open-ended, it'll be lower. I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to check into it. But yeah, it's very interesting to see these tools uh, become more popular and I think as people struggle to say like what's the source of truth that will become more prevalent it's very interesting actually you mentioned like Dragon's Den because all these tools one thing I've noticed is this set up right on like a 30-day time frame and and that could be like really generous in itself like some people right. said you know to 7 to 14 days I think if you have like a more considered purchase lifecycle like you guys like obviously it needs to be stretched out a little bit more but right. um where would dragons then ever appear like if you were to just use you know these main ad platforms then you would never know the true impact so I think having these like post-purchase surveys right um, is like you said really eye-opening maybe it's a case for like spending a lot more money on PR because the long-term exactly. effect and you know from what i've read in books like how brands grow we talks about like tv advertising where exactly. yeah. people go oh you know like well it doesn't jump the revenue like nine million percent in a day so it's not effective but actually they they go people who run like two adverts a year if they stop like the revenue will gradually decline so it's really interesting to see how those other things interact in the markets and mix
1: yeah for sure i think we have become spoiled by uh How easy Facebook made things, uh, let's say, when we first started becoming popular in 2015, 2016, right? It's like, oh, okay, I can just put on an ad and then somebody clicks on it and they buy. It's like perfect attribution, almost perfect attribution, especially if you're selling low AOV items, right? But the uh, thing with TV is you spend some money right now and it might not immediately result in sales. Uh, but this is, by the way, well, based on the advice that we have gotten from Sleep Country and a few other brands. Uh, we were recently acquired by Sleep Country, which has been amazing because we now we ha- get access to uh, this basically uh, a lot of information, a lot of advice, information uh, from a brand that s- spends uh, a lot of money on channels that we we are not on, like TV, radio, yeah. and uh, how to measure the performance from there, right? Like it's a, there is no click attribution for tv it can be like okay you know this ad played at the prime time slot and then these many people scan the qr code and then bought it. it doesn't work that way uh, which is forcing us to ch- change the way we measure things right from now on there's going to be a big focus on measuring metrics like brand awareness brand consideration and yeah. how do you measure these uh, these things like that it's uh, i think it's a uh, part of a Maturity for every brand eventually gets to that point when you, when you start saturating your face, you know, how many people you can reach and convince to Facebook, Google, Pinterest. And it's inevitable, if you want to keep growing, you have to diversify into these other
0: channels. And I think it just brings us around full circle to, as you said, looking at things on like a blended scale and putting right. all of them together. Because if you obsess over a single channel, you're probably just going to go down the rabbit hole of being yeah. frustrated. Okay, so let's. This brings us on, Carla, to the next point. Um, Talking about scaling and like payback periods, CAC. There seems to be like some randomized consensus, and I'm not sure where it came from. And I think it's a bit naive to say, you know, everyone needs a 30% retention rate. And one thing this doesn't take into account, and I know you'll probably expand on this, is the the industry and the vertical you're selling in. For example, like, Consumable based products obviously will have a higher t- retention rate than a mattress. <laughs> um so yeah, what tell me a little bit about your frustration with this like bandies about figure and also maybe what you guys look at as well to ensure that you're healthy and profitable.
1: For sure, yeah. So re- yeah, retention rate, it's been something that's been discussed a lot, I think, over the last couple of years uh especially over you know linkedin twitter a lot of uh heated debates and threads about it uh i think like slapping just a fixed number like oh your retention needs to be 30% or 40% if it's not you're doing a terrible job and if it's not then like and if you're at 15% if you can just increase that to 30% that's the best thing you can do for your profitability? Well, first of all, it's it's not that easy to increase from 15 to 30%, right? It's it's, it's not actually a 15% increase. It's a 100% increase. Like you're doubling your retention rate. That's, a, yeah. that's not an easy feat by any measure. And second of all, there's a lot of things uh, that contribute to retention that are just basically out of your control. Like that retention rate that if, we, if we're talking about that, like how many people, uh, how many first time consumers are going to come back and buy from you second that. There's a lot of things uh, over there, that are just beyond your control. The uh, book you mentioned by Byron Sharp, over there, he goes in uh, in pretty detail about the double jeopardy law. Right? It's almost like a yeah. law of nature uh, that brands that have the greatest penetration also happen to have uh, yeah. the uh, retention rates. Right? It's uh, because it's it's not really about uh, you know having a brand that's so amazing that people are just going to tattoo your brand logo on their on their arm. Uh, There is uh, things like, you know, most people are satisficers. They're just looking for uh, the easiest way to solve their problem, right? Which means uh, having a certain, when you have uh, the biggest penetration, it also often means you have the biggest brand awareness. It's easy to recall who you are. You're also probably physically available in many different places, uh, which is why uh, your retention rate also happens to be higher. It's not because just, you know, people love you so much that they can't get enough of you. Right. So there's there, there some things that are beyond your control. A few other things that are beyond your control also that in, influence retention rates a lot. Um, Alex McCurrin talks a lot about this in his re- retention matrix concept. Right. Like if you uh, start plotting your product on, on a graph. Right. And let's say the X axis is um, purchase frequency. How often a product like this is purchased uh, versus on the Y axis you have your item value like how expensive the product is yeah. uh that's that's a good way of dividing up uh, like you know then you start placing your product in that matrix and what you find is let's say if you're talking about a consumable product right let's say a bag of popcorns it's a low uh, low purchase and if you love popcorns you probably purchase it at a very great frequency now products like that are amazing for retention marketing efforts right because it is something that's consumed pretty often uh it is a low uh value item uh, people probably buy that many times and you can do some uh, things to actually influence that number further like whether that is a subscription points based loyalty program whatever it is it's uh, you can actually influence your retention numbers strongly by uh, paying attention to these marketing tactics and now it's a different story if you're selling mattresses or if you're selling a piano right Uh, how often are you going to buy a mattress i haven't changed mine in like eight years now uh, that's the, that's not even the average, the average person we found out through surveys does not change their mattress in like 14 years, right. Which is crazy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so if, if that's what your store is, you know, if that's your bread and butter by right, selling mattresses, your retention, like, it's not going to be 30%, right? Like people, uh, no. uh, out of 10 people who bought a mattress for me last year are not going to come back and buy another mattress unless the mattress you sold to them is,
0: uh, you know, something's wrong with it.
1: So I
0: analytics um software is that old <laughs> in e-commerce these days it doesn't stretch back that far enough so That's you'll nice. have a zero percent repeat purchase rate for most people
1: <laughs> yeah so these benchmarks i think they um a lot of these often don't make sense you know if you really need to look at uh what what product you're selling what the average selling price of the products is another thing is actually the, the i would say the products perhaps are the most important part of it right like a lot of brands yeah. have huge catalogs where they have a lot of different complementary products uh that you can buy from uh, and uh, a lot of brands don't have that if you're a brand that just uh, started a year ago or two years ago uh maybe you just have three products and yeah that's that's really like that that might be why you have, that's that just might be why you have a low retention rate. So there's many things to consider over here: how established your business is, how long you've been around, how many products you have, what kind of products you're selling, and also things like how much market share you have. It's it's like there's no one fixed number like your retention rate needs to be this. It's different depending on all these different factors.
0: Yeah, it's it, this is a super interesting conversation. Is there a couple of things I want to bring up? Yeah, um absolutely. this one is you out, like that double jeopardy law isn't it ironic how you seem to have like these people screaming on one side of the fence like now it's the time to stop focusing on acquisition and you focus on retention when actually sometimes the best thing you can do for your retention is to just grow your market share and acquire more customers and i've seen that actually ourselves where we've worked with a brand who's scaled really really fast and Bigger they get as a company, actually the retention rate does start to come up. Whereas sometimes mm-hmm. when you first start out, like obviously, like you got a really high um proportion of single-time buyers and the retention rate, the rate is really low. And the other thing you brought up, which was I want to go into and talk about what Hush maybe have done is like product skew diversification as well. You guys obviously, you know, were renowned for the blankets, but now you've got mattresses and I think other products as well. How has that impacted your retention rates? And obviously I assume it's helped with remarketing to existing subscribers, right?
1: It has helped a lot. So our mattress launch was insanely successful, right? I, I can't reveal exact numbers, but here's one thing that I can reveal about it. On the outset, when we looked at it, we were like, wow, this is amazing. We spent so much money on ads uh, and this and that, and it looks like it brought in a result. And then when we started look, looking deeper into the numbers, Turns out uh, the ad spend that drove in new customers was, wasn't very successful. Like it, most of the sales actually came from our existing customer base. Uh, so yeah. email marketing that we did, the SMS marketing that we did, the amount of time we spent uh, sort of nurturing the, those leads, uh, that's what made the biggest difference for us, right? And that's when we realized, oh, perhaps the biggest way of uh, increasing our retention rate is actually to double down on products, right? And we got a taste of that even before the mattresses, when we launched our, um, one year back, when we launched our ice 2.0 blankets and the ice 2.0 cooling sheets, right? So here, here's one thing you need to know about weighted blankets is that they make you extremely hot right? Which sucks. Yeah. If you're already a hot sleeper. You're putting this heavy thing on yourself and you just start sweating like crazy. So when we started talking to customers and we realized, okay, that's a big problem. Uh, we knew that we just had to launch a version of the cooling uh, weighted blanket with a fabric that that's, that's uh, that feels cool to your skin and cool to your touch. Right. And that would, that happened to be one of our biggest drivers of retention because a lot of people who had bought the original blanket, they loved it because it helped them with their sleep, but then they would uh, you know, be sleeping very sweaty. So they came back and started purchasing our Ice 2.0 blankets and the Ice 2.0 sheets, right? The, the cooling sheets. Then we realized, okay, if, you know, this is uh, looks like we're onto something with trying to address uh, hot sleepers. So then we released our cooling pillows, and that did amazingly as well. And every time we're launching these products, what we're seeing is that most of our revenue is coming from existing customers. Uh, so also, if we place our brand on that retention matrix, what well, we find out, we're exactly in that quadrant. Uh, where alex mckaycoran recommends that the best way to move the needle for your retention marketing efforts is actually to research your customers find out what products they can make the best use of and then create those amazing products and give it to them
0: okay i completely agree i think it's such an underutilized technique isn't it i think as you said there's things that are just out of your control and if you get the fundamentals right you have a great product great customer service then there's only so much you can do and i say that as someone who you know builds a lot of funnels for upsells and like sophisticated crm and one of the things um i think is is interesting you pointed out just then is that researching your existing customers and we do a lot of that baked into automation to actually uncover opportunities for future acquisition efforts Um, and product diversification because you can't just like set some basic flows up and expect your attention rate to just magically go up massively
1: exactly you're right it's uh, it's not just about you know it's flows are so we, we i think we tend to obsess over things that we seem like we can easily control and flows just seems like that thing right just create another flow right uh, if they bought product a then send them to flow a and if they bought product a and b send them to flow b and then you have like 10 different post-purchase flows they're supposed to be super specific and then when you look back and see like okay wh- did that actually move the needle uh how much incremental sales do we get because of it and you find out oh it wasn't really a lot yeah right? i think we tend to obsess over these things just because it's it seems on the outset easier to do uh but yeah the the focus where should it be again depending on where you are on that retention matrix if you want to uh, increase the, the, your retention rates right like for example um, a VIP program or loyalty points. It might be a good fit for some brands, but it's not for everybody, right? Just how you can't turn every product into a subscription product, right? The no one's yeah. subscription for blankets, like no, no, because how often do you buy blankets, right? So it's, uh, yeah, you need to really figure out where you are uh, and based on that, how much effort you need to put into retention and what those efforts should be
0: yeah no definitely definitely look big fan of um products actually yeah. worked in supplements for a long time and there was a um issue at one point where whey protein was priced so expensively that basically to start a brand and release whey protein it was like you can't make money on it but then there was a lot of brands who went oh I'm just gonna release like creatine and fat burners but what they realized was that customers will buy whey protein elsewhere and then buy their creatine and like fat burner and multivitamin Mm -hmm. from this store so they were almost they were losing out on sales through not selling a whey protein right in their brand so it's almost like a a necessary evil but it's a very effective tactic I think to improve that retention rate for sure yeah this made super um, interesting insights. Love this conversation. Um, if anyone has any further questions or comments, what's the best way to comment contact you? Sorry, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, of course. Yeah. Just where we are. So I'll give you a tag in that. But Carl, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. I'm going to cut this short here, and I will speak to you soon. Thanks a lot, Adam. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome, brother.